You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear. O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My my heart says to you, your face, O Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not. O God of my salvation, for my father and mother have forsaken me. But the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversary, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord in Psalm 27. And in this moment, as we begin to look at this psalm, we want to ask that God, by His grace, by His Spirit, that He would open our eyes, open the eyes of our hearts to behold wondrous things in this book. So we're asking that right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So so Psalm 27 is a psalm that clarifies for us the the essence of discipleship, which is is really important to Cities Church because the mission of our church is to make disciples of Jesus from all nations. And that's our mission because that's what Jesus tells us to do. And, And we, we just want to do what Jesus says, right? Because Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. We're, we're listening to him. We're listening to what he tells us, and he tells us to make disciples. And so as a church, we are devoted to multiplying and maturing men and women, boys and girls, as followers of Jesus who follow him in every aspect of our lives, 
And that means that we as a church, we are learning together and we are helping one another worship Jesus truly and serve like Jesus generously and witness for Jesus faithfully. All that it means, all that it means to follow Jesus is what we want for one another. And, and there are a lot of details to that. Like we, we have a whole book here that explains to us what that means. And it takes a whole lifetime for us to learn how to live this, how to do this, which means there are times when, when, when we, we need some help remembering the essence. We, we need some help coming back to the most important thing, coming back to the basics, the, the essence of discipleship. Like what is first and foremost in discipleship? What is the first thing that everything else comes after? The answer is simple. It's wanting God. Do you long for God? As Christians, do we think and feel and long for God in a way that sounds anything like Psalm 27? Maybe, or maybe not. Or, or, or maybe you once did, but, but right now not so much. Either way, wherever you are when you come to this psalm, this psalm is here to help us because Psalm 27 calls us back to the essence of discipleship. And after calling us back to the essence, this psalm teaches us three things. First, about fear. Second, about how to live. And then third, about our future. And I have a... I'm going to put a sentence to each of these three things. But before we get there, um, I want to just say more about, about the essence of discipleship. Now, imagine if you were to, if you were to bump into me like walking on the street. And if you were to ask me, hey, um, what's the essence of discipleship? I, I'd say to you, I'd say it, it, it's to be like Jesus. Discipleship is following Jesus, it's being like him. It's to lead your life alive in Jesus, in the power of Jesus and in the way of Jesus. That's what I'd say if you were to ask me what discipleship is. And if I had Psalm 27 open when you asked me, I'd say the essence of discipleship is described here in verse four. One thing have I asked of the Lord and that will I seek after, which means David, in saying that, David is about to tell us what is of first importance to him. This is what he's about to say is top of the list. Okay, this, this is the one thing for him that is greater than every other pursuit. What is it? He says, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and, and to, to inquire, to, to, to meditate, to ruminate on his temple. And now this statement here in Psalm 27, verse 4, in the book of Psalms, 
This is a, a, a messianic statement, okay? Just think about, think about this with me. Think about what we've seen up to this point in this book, okay? The, the one who has longed for the presence of God where there is fullness of joy. The one who is glad in the joy of God's presence. The one who says God's goodness and mercy has followed him all the days of his life. Same phrase used here in Psalm 27. The one who says he will indeed dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is the voice of the Messiah, and so ultimately, here in Psalm 27, that's who is speaking here. This is the Messiah. We, we see in this psalm again the theme of wanting to be in God's dwelling place, wanting to be in his habitation, wanting to be in his temple. Wherever God is the most, that's where I most want to be. That's the heart of Jesus. Okay. We, that is the heart of Jesus. That is the utmost desire of the Messiah. And if we are going to be like the Messiah, that's going to be our utmost desire as well. The most Christ-like thing we can do is to pursue God above all else. It's to be devoted more than anything, to the glory of God. Jesus lived his life on this earth with an all-consuming pursuit of bringing glory to his Father. And as the disciples of Jesus, that's our number one. That is what matters most. And so now, like as we throughout the rest of this teaching, as, as, as I talk more, as we talk more about this all-consuming pursuit of God, the essence of discipleship, I, I want you to know I'm describing Christ's likeness. Psalm 27 is the heart of the Messiah, and it's chiefly true of him, and it's true of us if we are in him and like him, okay? The essence of discipleship this is the way they say it, I think, in summary. The essence of discipleship is to journey like Jesus in the all-consuming pursuit of God. That's the essence of discipleship. Now, what does it teach us? First, about fear. Number one, the all-consuming pursuit of God leads to an all-encompassing fearlessness. Look at this idea of fearlessness here in verses 1 to 3. Verse 1a, because God is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Second part of verse 1. Because God is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Verse 2, the attacks of my adversaries are going to fail. Uh, beginning of verse 3, even if an army encamps against me, my heart shall not fear. Ver the end of verse 3, even though war targets me, war is coming at me, yet I will be confident. And confidence is another word for faith. It means to trust or to believe, which is the opposite of fear. And this is just the first three verses here. David, right from the start in this psalm, he declares this pervasive fearlessness. That's what the rhetorical questions are doing. Wh whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? The answer is nobody. 
Not even evildoers who want to devour me. Not even armies who are lined up against me. Not even war that is coming for me. This this is David has an all-encompassing fearlessness. But how is that? How can David, how can he be this fearless? Well, it's because God is his light. God is his salvation. God is his stronghold or his refuge. That's verse 1. And then David elaborates on this in verse 4. There's a connection here between verses 1 to 3 and verses 4 to 6. But it's not immediately clear what that connection is. Like grammatically, um, there's not a grammatical link between verse 3 and verse 4. So, so David doesn't go, he, he doesn't lead into verse 4 by saying something like, because. He doesn't do that. He just says, one thing have I asked of the Lord. He just says that, which means um, we as the readers of this, we have to sit on this a minute. We have to think on this. We have to meditate on this and try to figure out how are these connected? How is verse 4 and what follows connected to what's said before? And when we think on this, we can start to see that verses 4 to 6 are a window into what's behind verses 1 to 3. David's one thing, what matters most to him, is being with God. He he wants to dwell in God's dwelling place. He wants to behold God's glory. He wants to ruminate on God's presence. That's his focus. That's, That's his main ambition. And that's not a shot in the dark. See, David knows that there is alignment between his greatest ambition for God and his greatest blessing from God. That's why David says, God, I I want you more than anything. I want to be with you more than anything, for you hide me in your shelter. You conceal me under your tent. You lift me high upon a rock. Basically, the one thing, the main thing that David wants from God is for God to be God to him. That's what he wants. Another way to say it. What David most wants from God is what God has most promised. Himself. See, that's what David wants. What David most wants is what, is what God has most promised, and that is himself. And, and now we can see how this leads to fearlessness because David's greatest desire is also the securest reality in his life. And no enemy, no army, no war can take that away from him. The, the, the connection is between de- desire and security And then fearlessness. What David most desires is also most secure. And what is most secure is something you're not afraid of losing. Right? That's what it means for it to be secure. So so David says, come hell or high water. Line the enemy up. Let them aim their bows at me, attack me. Okay. Lie about me. Fine. Breathe out violence toward me. Whatever. Whatever you do, I'm not afraid because I mainly just want God and I will have him. I'm not afraid because I want God 
You can never take that away from me. That's what David is saying here. So my head, my head will be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I'm going to offer in his presence sacrifices with shouts of joy. I'm going to sing. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to make melody to Yahweh. See, the the, the all-consuming pursuit of God in verses 4 to 6 is what has led to the all-encompassing fearlessness in verses 1 to 3. And this is the place where I think we should examine ourselves. Okay, We can bring here, there, there are some questions we can bring to our hearts. Do we struggle with constant fear? Do, do we find ourselves routinely in a spirit of worry and insecurity? And if so, might that be an indication that we have prioritized the wrong things? Like, one reason we live in constant fear might be because we have placed too much value on the sand that we're trying to hold in our hands. Maybe. I know, Christian, speaking to you, Christian, I know that you care about a thousand things, a thousand things, a million things, and they're all good things, I hope. But here in Psalm 27, I want to call you back to the essence of discipleship. Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus and want God, desire God more than anything else and rest in the truth, in the fact that you have him. Okay? Number two. The, the all-consuming pursuit of God determines the way we live. Now, in verse 7 here, David launches into a petition, and he pleads with God to hear him. He, he says, I, I, I'm seeking your face, God, just like you said. I'm seeking your face. And then he, he does these four petitions for God's nearness. He says, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Cast me not off. Forsake me not. And, and this reminds me, that the urgency in these petitions reminds me of David's prayer in Psalm 51, verse 11, when he prays, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. There, there's an urgency here. He wants to be close to God. And then here in Psalm 27, in verse 11, he says, he says teach me your way, O Lord. And this is important because um, it's another theme that we've seen in these surrounding psalms, okay? Uh, One theme is that, um, let me just pray for the siren, uh, Father, whatever that need is, we hear it, um, we want to ask that you would uh, intervene by your grace and that you would um, make yourself known, be mighty, and whatever that need is, be there in Jesus' name, amen. I try to teach my kids to do that when we hear sirens, so uh, we'll just keep rolling. So he says, teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me your way. 
Now, this is important, this teaching, teaching wanting to know the way of the Lord, because we, we've seen this in the surrounding Psalms. Now, one thing we've seen, I've said this, is that we see this theme of the dwelling place of God, of wanting to be in the presence of God. Well, this second theme is about learning the ways of God. So the first thing, I want to I be in the dwelling place of God. The second theme is I want to learn the ways of God. Back in Psalm 25, we saw this. Psalm 25, verse 4, David prays, Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. And then in Psalm 26, we see that David is walking in this way. He, he's like the Psalm 1 man. He's walking in this way of the Lord. And all together, when we put this all together, it echoes a, a theme that we see in the greater Old Testament about the Messiah. Okay, there, a, a prominent theme uh, in the Old Testament, a prominent theme is that, that, that Israel's messianic hope, the way that they, their hope in the Messiah was that one day Israel and all the nations of the world are going to come to Jerusalem, to God's dwelling place, and there they will be taught by God. We, we see this very clearly in Isaiah chapter 2. Okay, so in Isaiah 2, uh, Isaiah speaks of a future day when all the nations will flow to the dwelling place of God, and this is what they're going to say. Isaiah 2, verse 2. Come, let us go to the mountain of Yahweh, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. So th there's a biblical connection here between being near to God and walking in the ways of God. And this is almost common sense to us. Like we, we, we get this. We know, we know that being close to God and living in rebellion against God are incompatible. Like that, we, we know that doesn't happen. So at one level, this is common sense. But, but it's also a deeply biblical concept. This is one of the central blessings of the new covenant. It's that we as Christians have the Spirit of God and the law of God is written on our hearts, which means we're not, as Christians, we are not scratching our heads about how we're supposed to live. But, but, but we actually, we lean, in, we lean into, we lean on God's revealed will and we increasingly bring our lives into conformity to his destructions. We delight in the law of the Lord and on his law we meditate day and night. See, if we want God more than anything, that shapes what we do. The, the all-consuming pursuit of God determines the way we live. And there are objective measures here. Like I'm talking about fruit here, okay? This, this, is, this is behavior, all right? On the negative side, there are certain actions that, that, that we do, certain actions that we can do that evidence we are not close to God. And the only way you can get close to God from that place is to forsake your sin. Repent. In this moment, that is an invitation extended to you right now by the Holy Spirit. The sin that keeps you from God, Christian, 
is sin that Jesus died to free you from. So if you're stuck, Christian, if you're stuck, repent and come home. Jesus died to free you both from the penalty of your sin and the power of your sin. And if you're watching this and you're, and you're not yet a Christian, I want you to know you can be freed from your sin by trusting in Jesus. You, you, you can be forgiven. You, you can overcome because Jesus took your sin upon himself and died in your place. And then he was raised from the dead in victory. So trust him. Put your faith in Jesus. And we need to get the order right. We, we are made alive in Jesus by grace. Grace alone through faith alone, we are saved. And we are saved from sin to God, brought into fellowship with God, into the presence with God, filled with the Spirit of God. And then we learn how to walk in step with that reality, pursuing God and His ways more and more and more and more and more and more and more. That's the Christian life. All right, number three. First, the all-consuming pursuit of God leads to an all-encompassing fearlessness. Number two, the all-consuming pursuit of God determines the way we live. Now, number three, the all-consuming pursuit of God believes the best is yet to come. I, I love verse 13 here. This is a declaration of faith in future grace. David, similar to what he does in Psalm 17, 15, he looks ahead to the future and he declares that he will indeed be with God and he will look upon the goodness of God. In a way here, this is David doubling down on what he says in verse 4 about gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. David is saying, I know I'm going to see him and all his goodness that has pursued me all the days of my life. One day the war will be over and I'm going to see all of his goodness to me clearly. I'm going to see his goodness face to face. I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to see it anymore through a glass dimly. I'm not going to see it anymore as the backside of this tapestry, but I'm going to see it all. I'm going to see it all clearly. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And this is an amazing phrase in the book of Psalms. It's talking about the resurrection, okay? And we should have more time on this. But we, we can see this show up a few other times in the Psalms. And one place we see most clearly is Psalm 116 in verses 8 and 9. There the psalmist says, he says, For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. There's, there's the phrase. The, the land of the living in the Psalms is the land beyond the grave for those who have been rescued from death to life. It's the resurrection. And, and that's the way that the Apostle Paul 
understood Psalm 116. He quotes from Psalm 116 in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 13 to 15. Okay? And the theme there, the hope there, it's, it's the resurrection. Okay? And, and so here's how it works. Today, if we today, if we have the same spirit of faith that the psalmist had when they hoped in the land of the living, it means, it means that we know he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. That's exactly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Christian, the, the all-consuming pursuit of God, wanting God more than anything, believes the best is yet to come because the yet to come is having him. <laughs> Do you see, this is how it works. Do you see how it works? The, 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 the all-consuming pursuit of God, wanting God more than anything, believes the best is yet to come because what is yet to come is being with God forever. Psalm 27, verse 13 is first. It's the hope of Jesus. Okay, It's the hope of Jesus. And then it's also our hope if we are in him, if we are in Christ. Psalm 27 is our hope. Christian, we will be with God. You will be with God. Christian, we will see the face of Jesus. It's, it's like Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4. Christian, we will always be with the Lord. And therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with our future. And that's what I want to do. Here in closing, following Paul's imperative there, his command in 1 Thessalonians 4, I, I, I want to encourage you with our future. Okay, Right now, this world... This world is in chaos. But Christian, you will be with God. Right now, the, the vulnerability of our species to an unseeable threat has been exposed globally. But Christian, you will be with God. Job security right now is in shambles. The economy is on the rock. Our finances are uncertain. But Christian, you will be with God. Right now, the, the hostile racialization of our culture is so intense, it seems incurable. But Christian, you will be with God. Our nation right now is so severely divided that the, the, the polarization is almost unbearable. But Christian, you will be with God. Right now, our own Twin Cities ground beneath our feet has been shaken. And going forward, it's going to cost us to make Jesus known. Christian, you will be with God. We will be with God. So wait for him. Be strong.
Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Amen.